Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. And as you do, open your Bibles to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. And I have to say, I am so eager to get into the Word with you all. Uh, but as you're opening your Bibles to John chapter 14, some of you in the room are, are likely wondering, who is this guy? My, my name is Jeremy Hendon, and I get to lead the young adult ministry here at Redeemer, as Brian had mentioned. And that has just been such a joy. Today is my my first day getting to preach, which has been a blast thus far. Second service, I'm even more excited to get after it with you guys. And uh, it's, a, it's a special Sunday for that, but also just getting to see these young adults up here, I know leading my heart to a greater place of worship to the Lord has been such a blessing already, and, and I'm sure that it has been for so many of you. It's just been so cool to see in, in a year of 2020 uh, where COVID and, and all kinds of different things were really pulling people away from each other oftentimes pulling people into greater isolation. We've seen this community of young adults gain some traction and grow so close together and so close to the Lord because of what he's doing. And it's just such a testament of how God redeems broken things. So I'm thankful for that. A little bit more about me. I currently attend school at Indianapolis Theological Seminary. I've been married for two years and some change to my beautiful wife, Megan, who led worship today. You can see our, our family photo on the screen behind me. We don't have kids, but we have a little pup named Kona, and we dress her up, apparently, now as if she's one of our kids. You know, I, I used to make fun of people who, who did that, but, but, you know, here we are. She also rocks this, this gray vest. It's really cute. And frankly, my family knows that I could talk about Kona for a long time up here to you guys. I love her, and the things that I love, I'm very passionate about. But as I've been seeking the Lord on, you know, okay, I've got just a couple minutes to get to share with our church who I am, what I'm most passionate about. I've been asking God, what, what is that? What, what am I most passionate about? And God has continued to bring me to this one specific theme in Scripture that blows my mind every time I hear it, every time I'm confronted with it. It's this idea that God, the king of the universe, desires to be with his people, desires to be with me. I'm, I'm a peasant, right? And God is the king and he desires to dwell with me and invites me, to, draws me nearer to him. Guys, I can't believe that God has done that. And we see that all throughout scripture, all throughout the Old Testament leading to where we're going to be today in John. So can you guys do a favor, do me a favor, oblige me for a bit. I'd love to go back into the Old Testament, do the quickest overview you've ever seen through the Old Testament, leading us to John 14, just showing some of the specific ways that God has dwelled with his people. Can we do that real quick? Yeah, all right, let's get after it together. We're gonna go back to Genesis very briefly. This should be easy for, for many of you who have been here for the Genesis series, but even if you haven't, you're likely familiar with this story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are the first two, the, the first man and woman that God creates, and he places them in this garden, the Garden of Eden. It's this wonderful garden sanctuary, and from, from Eden, there's these four rivers that flow down. And so it's thought, it's understood that Eden was likely on this mountain, on this high place, and the Jewish people recognized Eden as the place where heaven and earth overlap. You can see that in the picture behind me. Eden was this, was this sanctuary, it was this temple where God would, would come walk with Adam and Eve. He would talk with them. They knew each other intimately. And yet we all know, likely, the story of how Adam and Eve destroy this relationship. There, because of their sin, there becomes a chasm between heaven and earth. Adam and Eve break God's one rule for them, and because of that, there's a huge 
divide between God and between mankind. And the tragic thing about this is that there is nothing that Adam and Eve can do to traverse the gap. There's nothing that they can do. There's no ladder that they can climb high enough to reach, once again, the presence of God. They need God to come low to them. They need God to come low and traverse that gap that only he can do. And God does this through a number of different ways through the Old Testament. Specifically, we see in the tabernacle and the temple, God manifests his presence in these specific locations so that he may be with his people. And these locations were referred to as houses of the Lord. And within, like with any house, there were rooms within the tabernacle, the temple. One such room was the Holy of Holies, a place where only the great high priest could go into once a year to ask for the forgiveness of all the sins of Israel. And this system worked in many ways. Uh, God was, of course, faithful to his end of the deal. But the Israelites, God's people, continued to disregard God. They continued to disregard the sacred places. They kept turning to their own way and therefore creating an even wider gap over time between themselves and God. But rather than God giving them up to their own devices, God sends an even greater solution, a more perfect and more permanent solution. And that solution has a name, amen? His name is Jesus Christ. And that's what we've celebrated with Christmas Christmas is the celebration of this historic event in which God, the king of the universe, he comes low. He comes down. He becomes like us. He looks like us. And he comes as the linchpin, as, as the connection point between heaven and earth, between God and mankind. So this leads us to the Gospel of John. John, the author of this gospel, he's the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ. He's followed after Jesus, and he wants everyone to know through the text that we're going to be in this morning, he wants everyone to know that, look, this Jesus, who I followed after, who I've given my life to, he's more than just a man. This Jesus is God himself. He is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the one that all the Old Testament has been talking about. And so John presents who Jesus is in a variety of different ways. And in the first 12 chapters of the book of John, uh, John is highlighting for us just seven miraculous signs that Jesus does. Sign after sign showing this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And these signs that Jesus did happened over a fairly long span of Jesus' ministry. But then we hit chapter 13. In chapter 13 in John, it's, it's almost as if John bring, brings this awesome plot to a halt. And it slows down. It's like the slow-mo moment where Chapters 13 through 17 actually take place in the span of just an hour. And John is saying through that, he's saying, hey, look, at the, everything is, is leading to this specific moment in history. And this is right before Jesus is about to go through a series of events that are going to lead him directly to the cross. In the upper room, these are, this is Jesus' last moments with his disciples to really converse with them and share with them some final teaching before he heads down a path that's going to lead toward a gruesome death. And it's at this time that the disciples begin to get really confused. Jesus does some odd things in chapter 13. For one thing, he gets down low, taking the lowliest position possible at that time in that culture, and washes the disciples' feet. That was unheard of. And he tells the disciples that one of them is going to betray him, looks at Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times. And with all of these events that are happening, you can imagine if you're one of the disciples there that day, you're a little unsettled. You're nervous, anxious concerned, worried. 
And all of those are words that I think have described how many of us have felt during this previous year. And so today, we, more than ever, we need the hope that Jesus is going to offer his disciples in the midst of this difficult time. In John chapter 14, where we're going to be in this morning, John's going to give great comfort to his disciples. He's going to give them great hope and encouragement, and he's going to align their focus onto himself. And we need that today. So for those of us in the room and for those watching online who are believers, who have headed on this journey, we're pilgrims together, walking hand in hand toward the Lord, we're going to look at some way markers, some trail markers that John gives us throughout John chapter 14. And for me, I don't know if you guys have done any hiking in the past. I love to hike. It's one of my greatest passions. And I, you know, every year, actually, I get to take a group of young adults with me. Every summer, we go hike in Colorado. And if you lose sight of one of the trail markers as you're, as you're hiking, it, you start to get really nervous and anxious. And it's really easy to start, you know, heading down the right path. You're heading toward the right destination. But it can be very, very easy to lose sight of the path and to get lost. So these trail markers are so crucial for helping us stay focused, making sure that we're not turning to the left or the right, but we're keeping our gaze where it should be, directly on Christ. And so we're going to look today at four trail markers from John chapter 14. The first one is this. First trail marker for the Christ follower. The destination for us is the presence of God. Come on, church. The, pres the presence of God is what we have to long for, to hope in. Let me... Point your eyes to 14, verse 1. I'm just, I'm just going to read the first sentence and just let it blow your mind, all right? Let not your hearts be troubled. Whew. I read that and I just, I, almost, I just exhale, right? Let not your hearts be troubled. My heart is prone to be troubled. My heart is prone to wander. And so I need this. If you're like me, you read that and go, okay, God, tell me, Jesus, tell me more. Like, how, how is it that my heart cannot be troubled? And Jesus gives us the solution here immediately after. He says, believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, this can be a little confusing. We've just been talking about how Jesus Christ, he is God. So Jesus, couldn't you say, just believe in God or just believe in me? It's as if Jesus is saying, believe in God and believe in God. It's a little confusing. Now, we know that to be true because we're on this side of history with the, the, full, the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of God's word. But think as though you're in the sandals of one of the disciples. Think from their perspective, okay? They know that Jesus is the Christ from these seven signs that he's done, but they don't yet fully realize this man before us is God himself. They're not there yet. And Jesus is going to be very patient with them and help them to see exactly who he is and what he's come to do. So now, we'll continue forward uh, in, in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So question for you all. What is the Father's house, and what are these rooms? I think this is very critical for us to understand. And this is where that flyover that we did of the Old Testament comes in, and it plays such a crucial role here. The tabernacle and the temple were places that were referred to as the Father's house. Remember, there were rooms inside those houses. And so when Jesus here is saying that he's going to prepare a place for us, that there, he's going to prepare a room for us to dwell in, 
He's talking about leading us to the very presence of God himself. He's talking about leading us to a place where we get to experience who God is in his fullness, unhindered, not tainted from sin and, and all the stuff that we deal with, right? But to get to just behold God and, and all of his brilliance, who he is. And if we have a room in the Father's house, that means that we're God's kids. That means we're his children. So for the Christ follower, we have this, this to look forward to, that our residency, it's, it's not here on earth, church. It's in the Father's house, in his rooms. And there, Christ followers will be like priests, getting to serve God forever and ever. But I think, I think that this is something that, you know, this is a passage as I've been preparing for it, I've realized really tripped me up when I was growing up. And if you're like me, if you, if you grew up in church, you may have actually heard this message taught a good number of times. You may have read it a good number of times. And whenever I would read about Jesus going to prepare a place for me, I think it almost makes me laugh to say it, but I almost thought of Jesus as like a grandparent who was preparing for his grandkids to come over to his place. And maybe he was hanging up some cool artwork for them to enjoy and for them to look at. And he was getting uh, some games and things that he would enjoy. I almost pictured Jesus making the bed and fluffing pillows. Y'all, if you didn't know, Jesus is not up in heaven fluffing pillows for us. When Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us on the brink of going toward his death, Jesus is saying, look, my disciples, I am going to bridge the gap that you couldn't bridge on your own. There is a chasm that you all have created, and I am going to destroy that chasm to bring heaven and earth together, to bring you into the presence of God. Jesus is going forward toward his death, and only through his death can anyone be eternally in the presence of the Father. We'll see why as we move through the text. But I just want to encourage believers in the room, if you're saved, if you've been confronted with the reality that Jesus has done this on your behalf, long to be in his presence daily. Long to be with him where God is. And if you're struggling with that, I know that's something that I've struggled with before. <sighs> be honest with God about that. You know, we, our tendency is to want to try to just try harder. Okay, I need to kind of force myself to try to have a deeper longing for God and to be in his presence. But really that comes through just time with him. Time asking him, time, be, time being honest, saying, God, I, I don't long for this, to be completely honest with you, but help me. Help me to long for you. And when we do, when we see this, what God has done for us, you can't go back. The destination for us as believers is the presence of God. So now we must ask ourselves, what is the way to get to the destination? We've talked about, okay, we know the destination is, is this beautiful, wonderful place where it's like Eden is completely restored and we get to be in paradise with God himself. But how do we get there? Second trail marker for us as Christian pilgrims is this. Jesus is the only path leading to the destination. The only path. Go ahead and look with me to verse 3. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? That's a pretty astute observation on Thomas's part, don't you think? I mean, if you don't know where it is that someone's going, and they say, yeah, but you know the way to get there, you're like, okay, where are you going? And, and no, I've never been there. I don't, I don't know how to get there. It's very reasonable for Thomas to be confused here. And 
I think Thomas gets a bad rap, you know, for being doubting Thomas. But if I were in his shoes, I'd be asking Jesus the same question. Lord, I don't know where you're going. How do I get there? And Jesus has brilliantly set Thomas up on a tee to show him and all the rest of the disciples that they're, they're falling into this total misconception here, this total misconception of who he is. And verse 6 gives so much clarity. It's awesome. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The disciples know the way because Jesus is the way. Jesus has exposed this major misconception, though, that the disciples have been falling prey to. And it's this idea that if Jesus departs from them, uh, he being their rabbi, their teacher, the one who shows them the way to the Father, that they're left without their guide. They have no idea how to get where they need to go. And Jesus is saying, look, I can both go toward the cross, I can go to prepare a way for you, and yet also, because I am God, I can be with you, holding your hand, hand in hand, as we walk toward the destination. God can go before them and be with them. As God, he is all places at once. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only path leading to the destination. And I love how Jesus makes it so clear here that I, I, when he says, I am the way. It leaves no other room for there to be a different way. The way isn't separate from Jesus. He defines himself saying, I am the way. And this echoes a passage in Exodus where God, Yahweh, calls himself the I am. Jesus now is saying, I am the way. I am God himself. And the way he uses this definite article, the word the, that's significant here to say that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's no other way apart from him. And I think that we need to cling to that message today in a world that tells us, man, just look inward, find your own way, find your own truth, find your own definition of the fullness of life. You know, it's different for everyone. Everything's subjective. We need this anchor for us that Jesus has graciously given us. He's shown us this is the exact way to meet the Father, to go toward the destination. Following Jesus will not be easy, though. So heading down this path, heading toward the way, I don't want to paint a picture as if this is just going to be all bliss. In Luke 9, verse 23, you'll go ahead, you'll see it on the screen up above. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So as you follow Jesus, be prepared for hardship. But rest assured, as you follow Jesus, you're following God himself. You will not be led astray if you keep your eyes on him. We don't find truth or life, nothing good apart from him. He's the only path leading to the destination. He's the path and the prize. So why is Jesus the only way? What gives Jesus alone access to this destination? Look with me to verse 7. Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I love this. As, as Jesus continues through this passage, he's making it more and more obvious for his disciples. He's like, okay, you have the Father here and me. The Father, me. The Father and Jesus. He's showing these go hand in hand. I'm one with the Father. But Philip is still really confused. 
Look at verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So for us today, the third trail marker for the Christ follower, Jesus is the destination. Jesus isn't just the way to get there, right? We've talked about the, the destination, the first trail marker is the presence of God. The second trail marker, Jesus is the only way to get to that destination. But Jesus isn't just a means to something else. Jesus is not only the way to the destination, he is the destination. In Jesus is the culmination of the fullness of God. Jesus tells Thomas and Philip, he says, I am the way to the Father. I am also one with the Father. I am the path and the destination, the path and the prize. Jesus is man and yet fully God. And some of you, you know, I'm sure if you're like me, as you hear a message like this, you try to comprehend that, right? How can Jesus, this man, be, be 100% man and yet 100% God? And, and things like that can just rattle us if we're not careful. This is a mystery that we see throughout Scripture. But being God, Jesus alone has the ability to perfectly offer himself to his followers, to his disciples. And this is our, this is our greatest good, by the way. I think it can be easy to, to take a look at this and some who haven't been confronted with who Jesus is might look and say, man, this sounds a little narcissistic almost. Like Jesus isn't content to just be the destination or the way. He's got to be both. He's got to be pointing people to himself all the time. Yeah, because Jesus is our absolute greatest good. All the fullness of life we could ever hope to find, pleasures forevermore, enjoyment, delight, all of those things find their culmination, find their climax in Jesus Christ. So by leading us to himself, he knows that he's leading us to the best thing that we could possibly ever hope to find or look for. So I want to ask you today, church, do you long for something Jesus might get you, or do you long simply for Jesus himself? And this is a question that has wrecked me many times. Do you long for something Jesus might get you, or do you long simply for Jesus? Jesus is the destination. So for those of us who are, are we're walking on the path, we're heading toward this beautiful destination, the, the presence of God, what should, we accept, what, should, what should we expect to find along the way? What does Jesus promise those who follow him on the path? Fourth trail marker for the Christ follower. Christians on the path will do even greater works than Christ did. And this is where some of you are like, man, this sounds heretical. Some alarm bells are going off, right? You're like, man, this is the last time they're going to let this young adult director preach. But, uh, but look at me, the verse 12. This is, this is unreal. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, and you ready for it? He says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, I think it's very important that we clarify a couple things here. Doing greater works does not mean more powerful works. 
You know, it's, it's hard to top Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We're not going to top that. Doing greater works does not mean we will be greater than God. But the key to understanding verse 12 is found at the tail end where Jesus says that all of this is true. You're going to do greater works because I'm going to the Father. And as we talked about Jesus, he can't go to the Father without first dying on the cross. He can't go to the Father without three days later being raised from the dead and ascending on high, seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is moving forward toward the cross such that he can unite heaven and earth together, that his disciples and us as an extension, that we may know who God is. And Jesus knows that as I do this, as I, as I leave you with the fullness of the gospel through my death, my crucifixion, my burial, my resurrection and ascension, I'm giving you the fullness of the gospel. I'm giving you the message that will be unstoppable. And not only that, but Jesus is going to continue to sustain and support his disciples. And if you read further on the last half of John 14, Jesus is promising them the Holy Spirit. So now, no longer do you have the single linchpin of Jesus Christ on earth connecting earth with heaven, but you have the Holy Spirit who is coming to indwell believers all across the globe from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. And you imagine, Jesus, Jesus is imagining this, he's envisioning all of these believers across the globe filled with the Holy Spirit and a message that cannot be stopped, and he's saying, you're going to do even greater works because of what I've done, because I'm going to the Father. And church, let that get you fired up. You know, we look around, and sometimes it can be hard to see, man, I don't feel like I'm able to do greater works than Jesus. I don't believe that in the church I'm able to see that. But as the church unites together, as we seek after God from his word and we pray bold prayers together, I believe that we are going to see God do some incredible things in our midst in 2021. We'll do even greater works. Now, look with me back to verse 13. Get your eyes back in the text. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What does it mean to rightly ask something in Jesus' name? This is something that I've been wrestling with, and, and I believe that it's, it's really to continue to abide. It's continuing to walk on the path toward the destination, toward the presence of God. It's not to veer to the right or the left. We can't ask for whatever it is that we want by veering off the path and saying, hey, God, like, glorify me, do this for me, satisfy me in this way that's not in line with what your scripture says, with what your word says. But Jesus here is saying, hey, whatever it is that you ask in accordance with what I have done, whatever is in agreement with the word of God that leads to, like we sang this morning, Christ being magnified, Christ being glorified, that will come to fruition. We can't stop the unfolding of God's master plan. And yet, God chooses to use us. He uses our prayers to fuel this plan that, that unfolds before our eyes. We get to play a part in that. If we take God at his word, we can see God, by the power of his spirit, do some incredible things this year in 2021. Ultimately, we know that God will be glorified. Look with me real quick. On the screen behind me, you'll see Philippians 2, 9 through 11. This is a promise from Scripture. This is about Jesus. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is going to happen. And as we pray prayers that fuel this mission, we can expect to see those prayers answered. So follow Christ by believing his promises to you, pray in accordance with those promises. We can pray scripture. I think it's, I think it's easy at a time like this to say, man, I'm nervous and I'm going to pray something that's outside of the Father's will. But if we're asking God, your will be done, God is inviting us, ask, pray specific, bold prayers. And if you're nervous, pray scripture. We know that we can, we can pray a passage like that in Philippians and know that like, that's going to happen. One day, truly, every individual across the earth is going to know who Jesus Christ is. Let's be bold this year as we go. And let's not settle for the norms of American Christianity. Let's let God's word set the bar. And I'm seeing that, and I think our staff is seeing that more and more in our church, that there's a hunger to really allow our lives to be in alignment with what God's word says. And church, God's word tells me that like Adam and Eve, I've created a huge chasm between myself and God. There's a huge divide. I can't look back at Adam and Eve and go, man, you guys really screwed this up for me. I have sinned. I have fallen short. And so have all of you. All of us have. And all of us are in desperate need of God to come cross over that gap, to meet us where we're at. And so today, I just, I encourage you, if you have made that decision, then allow that decision, allow the gospel to saturate every aspect of your life. Allow it to keep you running down this path toward the destination, toward God himself. For many of us in the room though, or for some of us at least, we feel as though we're at a crossroads, a point in time where we can choose to head toward this path that leads to life. And there's all these other paths that are kind of beckoning and, and pulling at us and we're not sure what to do. And so it can be so easy to grow comfortable and just, and just to sit at this crossroads. And yet what the enemy doesn't want you to know is that that point, that crossroads, is actually lying on the path that leads to destruction. If we are not on the way that leads to life, that leads to Jesus, we are inevitably, we are being deceived and we're on the path leading to destruction. One day, Christ is going to return. One day, we will experience death and we need to be confronted with the reality that, that we must commit our lives to Christ. And so if you have been feeling this pull, you've been feeling unsure for a while now, I just encourage you to surrender. Cry out to the Lord and ask him to meet you where you're at. Ask him to come into your life, to dwell within you. And church, as we continue to see that happen, as we awake to the power of the gospel, as we behold the path and the destination, who Christ is, and we rest on, on the, the foundation that he has built for us, empowered through the Spirit, church, the gospel is going to prevail. There's nothing that can stop it. We get to play a part in it. So now the band is going to, to come up and we're going to sing one last song. As we sing and as you go today, I just, I urge you to behold the path and the destination, to behold Christ, to walk along the way and to not turn back. If you would, go ahead and bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to get to, to preach your word. And Lord, anything that I've said that was 
of my own, Lord, I pray that I'd be quickly forgotten, but the things that you have had to say today to us, Lord, would we grip hold of those things? Would we take you at your word that the church can come together and we can see greater things happen in our ministry? You are the basis of all of that. We rely on you. We cling to you. We cry out to you to save us, to help us, to keep us on the path that leads to the fullness of life. We love you, God. We pray all these things in your precious name.